So last week we looked at the rules of Bible study, and um, we we had this this bookmark that Brian has. It's it's a very handy bookmark that has the 21 rules of Bible study on it. So uh, if you didn't grab one last week, there may be uh, some additional handouts or some additional bookmarks on the information desk out there, and I would highly recommend that you have these. That It's a handy tool with rules of Bible study. As we talked last week, the rules of Bible study are, are, are key. I want to highlight four rules of Bible study that will prime us for our discussion on dispensations tonight. So just by way of reminder, the most important rule of Bible study, what is that? Context. Context, context, context. Before you ask what a verse or a passage means, you must determine the context. So what do the the words mean in the context of the book, chapter, and verse? That's so key. You keep God's word as he intended it um, in the context of what he is saying. It's not about us and what we want it to say. It's about what he wants. The second one is people groups. The Bible is written to three different people groups. So what are those three people groups? Jews, Gentiles, and the church. So when you're looking at a passage, you determine which, which people group is this passage talking about. So what is the context? To whom is the passage written? And then the third rule of Bible study is the, principles, uh, the principle of bi- biblical divisions. Tonight we're going to dive deep into that with dispensations. But it's critical to understand the impact of God's natural divisions in his word to determine the doctrinal context of a passage. So the penalty of incorrectly dividing God's word is impure doctrine. So tonight we're going to talk about how the Bible is divided throughout time through dispensations. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's what we are to do, is rightly divide it. And those who take issue with dispensations are actually taking issue with what the Bible says itself. Another key rule, they're all important, but another key rule, especially for tonight, tonight talking about dispensations, is the principle of the theme of the Bible. And understanding in, in its entirety what the Bible is about. So we talked about that last week. Some people say the theme of the Bible is the kingdom. I take issue with that because that's the topic of the Bible. A theme has to be a complete thought or statement. So the theme of the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation, the king will restore his kingdom. That's the complete thought. It's not that big of a deal, but I was an English major, so we want to say it correctly. The king will restore his kingdom. Every book, chapter, verse must be seen in the light of God's plan for his kingdom. And when you see it as a whole, it makes sense. Jesus has overcome, overcome both the spiritual 
and physical death, and he will take his rightful place as king of all creation in the near future, as seen in Revelation 19, 16, Revelation 22. The history of the Bible and Bible record is really the struggle over God's kingdom. That's what it's about from Genesis to Revelation. So the king will restore his kingdom. So understanding those key rules of Bible study, I want to dive into dispensation. So you have a thick packet here, and we're going to work to go through it. The first blank here is the word. So the word dispensation. So what is a dispensation? You have some definitions here. And as an overview, a dispensation is a period of time or an age on this present earth. Did you know there, were, there are actually three earths? We're on the present earth right now. Uh, there's a past earth and there's a future earth, but we're on the present earth. So on this present earth during which God assesses man's obedience to his will by the means of a specific standard. In each dispensation, there's a specific, specific standard. By seeing the Bible and the story of mankind, we see the story of mankind turning from God and God administering his plan to offer his grace and rescue man from sin in each time period. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, maybe a simplified version of that is the third bullet on the front of this handout, uh, Jeff Adams. Dr. Jeff Adams, pastor of HBF's Sending Church, defined dispensational theology this way a number of years ago, the way God dispenses his grace to man over time. So how is God dispensing his grace throughout time? Another one I want to point out is the last bullet. A very good definition is from Clarence E. Mason, Jr. The word dispensation means literally a stewardship or administration or economy. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a way of administering, dispensing, stewarding, or economy. And in its biblical usage, dispensation is divinely established stewardship stewardship of a particular revelation of God's mind. Go ahead and advance to the next slide, if you would, in which, actually go back, (laughs) sorry about that, Um, in which it brings added responsibility to the whole race of men or that the portion of the race to whom the revelation is particularly given. I want to go to the bottom part if you... You, you see the rest of this, so at the very bottom, and it says, associated with the revelation on one hand and the promises of reward or blessing for those responding to the obedience of faith, while on the other hand, there are warnings of judgment. So you have the good and the bad, right? If, if you have received the grace of God, that's, that's a blessed thing. If you have not... And you go into your grave, that's curse. And so there, there are two ways always to, to see things. 
especially with dispensations. It's, and what are you going to do with what God has given to you? So the warnings of judgments upon those who do not respond in obedience of faith to that particular revelation. And this is what I want to point out and why I think this is one of the best definitions here. It says, however, though the period or age ends, certain principles of the revelation or dispensation or stewardship, however you want to think about it, are often carried over into succeeding ages because God's truth does not cease to be truth and these principles become part of the cumulative unfolding revelation of God's redemptive purpose. So what you have is an unfolding progressive revelation starting with revelation and then God is unfolding over time. Uh, at, At my place of work today we were showing students a, sim, a flight simulator that we have. And a student was in it and, and working on the flight simulator. And I'm thinking about dispensations, and it's, it's so similar to an airplane. Because I don't know about you, but it boggles my mind how a, a one-ton plane can hang in the air. How does that happen? It's by pr- a progressive... Um, uh, application of physics of what, is what happens. Because those planes have the, the aerodynamics that they do, they're superseding other laws, gravity, one of those, that allows that plane to go into the air. So it is not breaking the law of gravity, it's superseding. That's what Jesus Christ did. He fulfilled the law, but it was a progressive thing. And so what you have with dispensations is, is how God, over time, is progressively unfolding his grace um, throughout time. So as I said last week, the rules of Bible study and the concept of dispensations in the Bible help us understand how God's story of the human history is put together like a puzzle. I thought about, and I didn't get time, I barely made it here tonight, uh, going to Walmart and, and buying a big puzzle box and a big magnifying glass. I didn't get time to do it, but that's what I wanted to to bring with me today because God wants us to be a detective. We're stewards of his mystery and he wants us to be, as we're, we're studying his word, to say, Lord, what is it there? What does a detective do? Detective looks at all the evidence and puts it together and sees what story unfolds. That was, that's what, exactly what God wants us to do because we're stewards of his mystery. Now, it fits together like a puzzle. Most people won't take the time to dig that out. Now, if you think of, you know, you ever watch detective shows? What do they do? They, you know, they, they take, you know, this person's face and they put it up, you know, on a, on a board. And this person's face and then they, they have a knife or whatever. And then, if you ever seen it, they have lines they draw or strings. You ever seen this? Um, now, I've never really seen that in a police station, but... On TV, that's how they have it. And they're putting all the evidence and then connecting all the dots. That's what we're supposed to be doing with God's word. Because it defines itself. That's one of the rules of Bible study. And so God just dares us to say, dig in and and see the patterns that I put here. It's so amazing. So history is merely the story of what God is doing with man. It is his story history right and we have this it's not your story it's not my story it's his story 
But the amazing thing is, when we take up his story, it does become our story. We become a part of his story. So when we live according to God's will, our own story has true meaning. And the Bible tells us how that story unfolds throughout time. And and that's why dispensations is so incredible. The key to see the patterns God has placed in his word is the key is to see the patterns that God has placed in his word. And to see how they unfold and put those together. Through God's preserved words, we see the pictures that he is paying for us. So, uh, for instance, the the story of of Christ on the cross. We, We see pieces and shadows of that in the Old Testament. And we see remembrance of that uh, even in Revelation. And God says, tie those together and see what the, the picture I'm painting. See the patterns that I'm putting, putting together. And many times they're pictures. They, they fold into stories. And, and the amazing thing to me is everyone loves stories. Is that not true? From a little baby to an older person, they, they love stories. And if you don't believe me, then I, I submit to you a question of why, do, why did people take a TV box, shrink it, and then now they carry it in their pocket? And they're looking at stories all the time, right? God's placed that in us. And what God says is, I wrote you a story that unfolds the truth of all history. But you'd rather play in your little box than understand the truth. So... The Bible is full of thousands of pictures that reveal what he is doing with mankind until eternity. From which we can learn about him and his hand upon the history of man on this earth. Now unfortunately man wants to approach God and what God has given in man's way works. Starting with Cain. But God reveals how he wants mankind to approach him and what he has given man in his way which is faith. That's, that's the story throughout time. Now, there are seven dispensations in the Bible. I'm going to talk just real carefully or quickly about them, and then we're going to dive deeper into them. Seven dispensations are the, the ages, the time periods that you have in the Bible that show us what God is doing throughout all time with mankind. And we can think of the seven dispensations with the flight of an airplane, okay, because that's what I'm, I'm in right now at work. That's, that's the big program that, that we have, and so I've been musing on this. So um, with an airplane, there's a process that a pilot has to go through. And you have different dispensations, but if you, if you can see this picture throughout history, what God is doing... He takes off with his plan in the airplane, and then at the end of Revelation, it lands. So, in the Age of Innocence, which we're going to look at in a little bit, with Adam, the first man, that's when man reports to the airport. The Age of Conscience with the sons of Adam is like the pilot doing a a personal self-check. Am I ready? The age of human government with Noah is when the pilot does a pre-flight check. That's something a pilot has to do every time. 
The age of promise with Abraham is when the pilot, uh, when the plane goes down the runway. The age of law with Moses is when the crew gets the passengers ready. Right? If you've ever been a plane and they go, the stewardess or whomever goes over what the rules are there, the law. And the age of grace with Paul is when the plane takes off. And then at the end, the age of millennium with the apostles is when the plane lands. That's when everything comes together at the end with the age of millennium. And everything comes together. Now, so you have those different dispensations. And I just quickly went through those. We're going to take one at a time in a few minutes. But within the concept of dispensations is an understanding that God has made covenants with mankind. A covenant is a literal or con- and conditional or sometimes unconditional agreement. A literal, conditional, or unconditional agreement between two or more parties that will continue only if all the participants abide by certain or all of its stipulations set forth in the covenant. And God has a number of of covenants. He has eight major covenants in the Bible. Four of those are unconditional covenants. And those include what's known as the Edenic covenant that happened in Eden. The um, Adamic covenant that happened after the fall. The Noahic, I should say, Noahic covenant, which is Noah. After the flood, the I even said these ahead of time, and now I'm having trouble with it. Abrahamic covenant with Abram, the Mosaic covenant with Moses, the Palestinian covenant with the Jews in the land, the Davidic covenant that's talked about a lot in Scripture with Jesus as as a descendant who will sit on the throne, and then last, the new covenant. So we're going to talk about both the dispensations and the covenant because with each age, there's a covenant that God is working through in that age. Now, as far as defining dispensations in the Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17. The Greek word for dispensation is found in the Bible seven times. Four times it's translated as dispensation. That's right here in 1 Corinthians 9.17, also in Ephesians 1 and 3 and Colossians. And then three times it's translated as stewardship, as in Luke 16. So a dispensation is entrusted to a steward or an administrator. My job at work is an administrator. I am administrating rules throughout the day. And God has given throughout time through those dispensations somebody who will be in charge or a steward of that. Now, 1 Corinthians 9.17 says this, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So Paul in in verse 16, is entrusted with a valuable message of the gospel and then has the responsibility, that's what verse verse 17 is about, to distribute or administer that to others. Now, uh, Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, right? And then in that, 
And that time after, God entrusted with him the gospel as the apostle to the Gentiles and says, this is, this is yours. And, and look what he did with it. He, he wrote much of the New Testament. In Ephesians 1.10, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together one all things in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So all things fold into Christ. So dispensations are defined by what is being dispersed or given out in time. In Ephesians 3, 2, it says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to, to you word. So dispensations are entrusted or committed to the care of key people or peoples to dispense. Now, if you talk about dispensations, sometimes people won't understand what you're saying, but some people who have looked very little to it will even say, that's not even a biblical thing. And you could take them to these verses and say, here it says dispensation, what are you going to do with that? Colossians 1.25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you. To fulfill the word of God. So in each case, it's a stewardship that's given. A responsibility that's given. So Bible dispensations follow the natural divisions found in scripture. So those ages are following a a natural division. That if you study the word, you see those, those different pieces. And remember, a dispensation is measured in time. Defined by what is being dispensed and entrusted to a person or people. The Bible is naturally divided by seven time dispensations or ages defining what is being dispensed and then the person or people group that's responsible for that dispensation. So, principles that you will find in a good definition of of dispensational theology. So, we have these, and those are a dispensation... Okay, so for number two, your blank there is principles. Principles you will find in a good definition of dispensational theology. And then the first bullet, a dispensation is God's distinctive method of governing mankind or a group of men during a period of time of human history. So method of governing. The next bullet is a dispensation is marked by a crucial event. An event happens that marks God is going to be doing something different. A dispensation is marked by a test. Next, a dispensation is marked by a failure. Jamie, we have some handouts on the other side if you want one. Next, a dispensation is marked ultimately, uh, ultimately by a judgment. A judgment happens. From God's vantage point, his perspective, it's a divine opportunity for stewardship or management of God's affairs or kingdom. And from a human standpoint, for us on the, on the side down here on the earth side, it's a divine responsibility. 
from a historical perspective or vantage, it's a stage in progressive revelation. So if you look at it throughout history, it's one age or a stage. Progressive revelation, again, is a recognition that God's message to man was not given in one single act, but is unfolded in a series of successive acts and through the minds and hands of many men of varying backgrounds. So that's where you have the Bible, where God is just continually unfolding his, his great plan. So the dispensation on the word dispensation. So thinking through a few things here. We're going to dig deep in the different time periods. So Ben, forward, go forward once. Actually, go until you see a chart. That's a lot of blanks. Okay, there we go. So there's a chart, and it's hard to read up there. Um, it's in your handout on page 5. But you have the dispensations lined out. Innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, and grace. Those are the seven dispensations and how they unfold. You have um, the steward. And then you have the responsibility, the failure, the judgment, the crisis, the limits, the test, the symbol, and the account. So you can see they're very distinct. And as the Bible, the stories of the Bible, and the major stories that you can see that's, that are happening, they weren't just stories, they were administrations of what God was doing. And again, if you put the patterns together and the puzzle together, then you're able to see uh, the manifold grace of God coming together. So we're going to start with the first one, which is the, um, the first dispensation that's the, the age of innocence. And for some reason, the name is, is chopped off there. I, I don't think it's on. No, it's not there. So um, they called it the Edenic. Um, that's actually the time frame, but... Uh, it's also called the Age of Innocence. So we're, uh, with that dispensation, and you'll have, uh, you can fill in some notes if you would like, and we'll come over to these blanks later. But for the Age of Innocence, that is in Genesis 1. So turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. This is the age of innocence, and it goes from Genesis 1.28 to Genesis 3.22. The first of the seven dispensations known as the age of innocence begins with Genesis 1.28, which says, And God blessed them, and, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So when man was created in innocence and placed into a perfect environment called the Garden of Eden, that is the first dispensation. And the Lord God created man to fellowship with him. He desired those who love and, the, and obey him of their own free will. That's what God wanted. That's why, that's why um, 
we believe that man has a free will to choose the Lord. It says, whosoever will, right? Because God loves us. He doesn't want a robot. He wants somebody who chooses to love him. If you you read through what Jesus did, he didn't force people to believe in him. He just gave them a choice. He desired those who love and obey him of their own free will. Man was created innocent, but he was not created righteous. Mankind had to prove that he would refuse sin if righteousness were presented to him. Man in Eden was able to sin, but then after the fall, man was not, not able to sin. So you have to sin, right? So after the fall, they have a choice. And that's why if somebody's unsaved, you don't get mad at a sinner for sinning. That's what they do. It's like a baby who makes, his, makes a mess in his or her diaper. That's what they do. You don't get mad at them for that. You have to clean it up and, and you know, and, and help them, but... That's what sinful man does. When man is glorified, he will not be able to sin. That part is cut away spiritually and positionally it's cut away. So the act of disobedience to God's command took of the fruit is called the the fall of man. When, When man took of the fruit, that's when the fall happened. And it separated Adam and Eve from the communication with God. God is presented mankind with a simple command and warn mankind of the consequence of disobedience mankind was not compelled to sin but when mankind tempt, was tempted by satan adam and eve all mankind after them chose to disobey god and the age of innocence ended with genesis 3:22 with man's expulsion from the garden so in 3:22 It says this, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So because man didn't have righteousness, God said, This is, this is not going to work. And so he, he put him out of the garden. Because now God had to deal with the issue of sin. And that's really the story of this whole book is God is dealing with the issue of sin until the end when evil and sin is put to rest. So this story continues and adds to the other stories. So it is progressive. And that falls into the Edenic covenant that has to do with Eden. That's why it's called Edenic. Um, The covenant is something that's bestowed on a person. So it's important to understand that the conditional Edenic covenant that was made between God and man, which required Adam to fulfill certain responsibilities. And those responsibilities, if you read through Genesis 1, 28 through Genesis 3, 22, to propagate the human race, be fruitful and multiply, Adam. That's what he was commanded to do. Subdue the earth, have dominion over it, and have dominion over the animals. To care for the garden and to eat the fruits and herbs. And then last, abstaining from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what got messed up, right? 
So that was the covenant that God made with Adam. He said, this is Adam. This is a responsibility that you are to do, Adam. Obey it. It was that one tree, and he could not do that. Now, was it Eve's fault? No, the responsibility was given to Adam. And Adam was to see that that was taken care of. He didn't do it. Now, Eve had issues there in that too, but the responsibility was given to Adam. So that's the first one. The second one, the Adamic, which is the age of conscience. And so now there's um, a conscience that Adam has to work through. And that's Genesis 3.23 through Genesis 8.22. The age of conscience. So 3.23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he, he said, you're, you're going to have to leave the garden. And so the age of conscience starts. And that's when man's sin and man was placed by God under the stewardship of moral responsibility where he was accountable to do all known good, to abstain from all known evil and approach God only through blood sacrifice. Because when Adam sinned, they hid, and what did they use to cover themselves up? Fig leaves, which are a symbol of works throughout the Bible in many cases. That didn't work. God says, no, if you take of this, ye shall die. Now God, in a substitutionary fashion made a sacrifice, and then they wore what they wear instead of the fig leaves that God gave them. Animal skins. And throughout all of Scripture, if there is sin, there must be a blood sacrifice. That goes all the way through Scripture. And that continues. And it continues until Genesis 8.22, which says... While the earth remained, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And then right after that, we see. Okay.
Um, so, a Savior is promised. We see that in, in Genesis 3 as well. The state of a woman is changed. The life will be full of sor- sorrow. Man will toil on the earth, and life will end in death. So that, that's a new set of rules that are given because of, of that, that fall. And then we move into Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1 with the age of human government. Also known as the, yeah, the, the note with Noah and the Noahic covenant. So the age of human government begins when God explains to Noah his responsibility, what Noah may expect God to do. So the, the uh, covenant that's given, it's a conditional covenant that begins in Genesis 9-1, and God promised never to do what? Do you remember? Never to flood the earth again is what God promised that would destroy the whole inhabited earth. And God left something for us as a remembrance to us, actually not to us, to him, himself, what is that? The rainbow would be a sign of his promise, and he has kept that promise ever since. It stirs our hearts to know that God said he would put a bow in the sky so that God can remember his promise when he sees the rainbow in, his sky, in the sky. And through this covenant, God commands Noah a few, for a few things, with a few things. One, to reopen the earth again. So after Noah steps from the ark, it's his job to replenish, to multiply and replenish the earth. To recognize the right of all animals to protect themselves and for man to eat their flesh. So before that, they were all vegetarians. So is being a vegetarian biblical? Well, yeah, before the flood. (laughs) You could probably do it too. Um, We have freedom in Christ, but... um, Respect, the, the third thing is respect the natural right of animals to live and not to drink of their blood. So that's another th- uh, string that we see throughout the Bible is that the blood is sacred because the life is in it. And it, has, it speaks of Christ who's coming in the future. And the last, to establish human government. So if you get mad at government, blame it on Noah. He had to start it. He... Uh, he blew it like the other, the other people. There's a failure that happens with each of them. And then Genesis chapter 12. So turn to Genesis chapter 12. Four of the covenants or the time periods, not covenants, the dispensations or ages actually happen in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 is the age of promise that ends with Exodus 19.2. But Genesis 12.1, Now the Lord God said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and unto a land that I will show thee. So he says, Get out. Get out, Abram. And the age of promise begins when God explains to here Abram, who later becomes Abraham, that he... And Abraham's descendants had to stay in the land where God had put them and that he would have given them every blessing. 
because he was going to he was sending them to a land and they were supposed to be custodians of that land. But they 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 weren't faithful in that. The. Um, Abrahamic covenant, the, the covenant with Abraham was an unconditional covenant that begins in Genesis 12. And you see it in 15 when God made four promises to Abraham. Promise number one is the promise of a great nation or people. In Genesis 12, 2. And I will make, thee, make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The promise of blessings from God, so the blessings would come from God. Third, a promise of long life and a peaceful death in Genesis fifteen fifteen, and the promise of land. Now, that was a big thing because not long ago, in 1948, something major happened with that land that was promised, where Israel became a nation, and it was continuing on with the plan of God. But Genesis fifteen eighteen says this, In the same day the Lord God made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed I have given this land, and from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So God lays out that, that new covenant for Abraham, and it had to do with land. People wonder why there's such a problem with land in, in Palestine. It started way back here. It's a supernatural situation that's going on because it was a covenant that was given. God gave that land to Abraham and his descendants. Satan doesn't like it, and he's been working against it ever since. Then we move on from Genesis into Exodus, and you see the next dispensation, the age of law that ends with the cross of Christ in Matthew 27, 35, with Christ on the cross. The age of the law is an important stage of history for both Israel and mankind in which God chose a special people called Israel and gave them very careful instructions on how to live right. Israel unanimously agreed to do all that God commanded. When God laid it out, we will do as you command. Did they? No, they didn't. They failed. In spite of every advantage, and though great prophets, judges, and patriarchs spoke God's word to them, they still failed to reach God's standard to please him. By failing to reach God's standard, they proved that man cannot save himself and that mankind needs a savior. God knew that he would fail, or that they would fail, and he knew the law would show them their need for whom? For Jesus Christ. And so the plan of God is unfolding, right? Paul explained this in Galatians 3.24. Can somebody get that for me? Galatians 3.24. So as you're getting that, God gave the law to show people that they are sinners. The law does not cleanse. The law is like a mirror. And in the mirror, you see that your face is dirty, but it cannot make your face clean. So when people see the law, that they're sinners, they must seek what will cleanse them. And it's the blood of the Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from sin. The age of law ended with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the standard for righteousness that mankind needs to be righteous before God. Galatians 3.24, does somebody have that? 
Okay. So just as it says, it's, it, its purpose was to show our need for Christ, right? Now, the Mosaic Covenant, so we're talking about the age, and now we're talking about the covenant that had to do with Moses. The conditional covenant, Mosaic Covenant, begins with Exodus 20 when God put Israel in a new relationship with himself. Jehovah God was to be their king and they were to be his people, chosen especially out of all nations to keep his law and live for him and witness to the nations around them that he was the one true God. And within this nation, the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Lord, was to be born. The covenant was between God and Moses, who represented the Israelites. It was conditional. If the Israelites would keep the law God gave them, God would keep his promises of blessing them. And the law had three parts. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 1 through 26, the judgments in Exodus, Exodus 21, and the ordinances. That's, the, that's what's considered the law. Exodus 20, 21, and 24 lays out what's known as the complete law. The Ten Commandments, judgments, and ordinances. And so you have this, this covenant that was given. And again, with each time period, you have a failure. Now, it says the Israelites who were in charge. So I was just reading this morning about the Sanhedrin in, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26. Who were the Sanhedrin? Do you know? The, the Sanhedrin were the main leaders of Israel. Usually it's a, it was considered to be a group of 72 of the leaders of Israel. And right as Jesus is coming... Jesus gives them a last chance to say, are, are you going to admit that the law, with the law, that you cannot keep it and you need a Savior, a Messiah, and I am, I am He? And they said, kill Him. They denied that. Now there's one other covenant that's a special covenant within this, and you see that in Deuteronomy 28 through 30. So it's within this same time period but it's a special covenant, and that's the Palestinian covenant. It's an unconditional covenant is given as a confirmation and enlargement of the Abrahamic covenant. So Deuteronomy 28 through 30 is the restating of, of God's promise to Israel in the land of Palestine. So God marks that land as special, and he is reestablishing with the Israelites about the terms on which they were to enter into the land of Palestine. Their history shows how they broke the covenant and lost the land. And the covenant also said that if they repented, they would be restored to the land and to prosperity. This has never been fulfilled, but it will be. So when Jesus Christ comes back, there will be those who will fulfill this, that God will restore to the nation of Israel the covenant. And that's this right here is a sacred teaching for Baptists because this is a distinction that separates Baptists from others. Uh, one of the distinctions with Baptists is the full name of a Baptist is um, uh, a pedio anabaptist, which means against infant baptism. That's, that's what we are as Baptists because we believe you have to be saved to be baptized first. 
But another thing is that God is not done with Israel. And he, the promises in the Bible to Israel, God will fulfill to Israel. That's a distinction of Baptists. The Davidic covenant is one, one other covenant that we see before the next age or next dispensation, and that's uh, the, the covenant with David. An unconditional Davidic covenant it is the covenant with David. And it will be fulfilled when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back into the world to establish his kingdom that will never end. In the Davidic covenant, God promised the family of David three things. One, to put David's family on the throne after him. Two, to establish the throne or authority forever in the hands of David's family. And to establish the kingdom forever so that it will never be overcome. You see this discourse when Jesus came with the the Sanhedrin, the the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, where Jesus is talking, and there's a lot of talk about David, if you take note. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who is going to fill, fulfill this covenant of David. And that made them mad. That made them furious, enough to kill him. So those are the covenants and the dispensations that take us through the law. And then we come to now, our time period. And it's the dispensation of grace. You see that at the top with Paul. The dispensation of grace or the age of grace, as it's been called, also called the age of the church. It begins at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside the church of the living God. In Acts chapter 2, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, what happens at Pentecost? Who comes? The Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty Wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the other tongues you find out are actually languages. And then it uh, is declaring to all the fact that the, the Holy Spirit of God has come and indwelled people. And that is something unique in no other age where uh, God comes into men. Now, if you understand, there are several pictures throughout the Bible. One of them has to do with the temple. Jesus, when he came, said to them that you have desecrated the temple that should be holy. And so... God didn't recognize the temple that they had at that time. And at the, in this new age, God says, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside men and women, and they will be the temple of the living God. So we see that time where we become temples of the living God. I, I heard from a preacher once who said uh, this story. You probably have heard me share it, but uh, they they people will say, wouldn't it be great that we'll be able to, to sit and talk with, with Moses 
and, and some of the patriarchs, and we could come up to Moses and say, Moses, tell, tell us about what you saw and what you did and how great it is. And the old preacher says, no, probably Moses will come to you and say, no, 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 no. You tell me what it was like to have the Spirit of God in you and what you did with that. That's pretty convicting, isn't it? (laughs) Those men in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Spirit of God in them. We do. What are we doing with that and taking that to, to others as the temple of God? So it's Acts 2, 1 through 4, and then ending with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians 4 with the rapture, Revelations 19. The age of grace, or the church age, is the period of time between which the end of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, officiating or officially at Pentecost, and then to a second coming. So today, during the church age, God is no longer dealing with Israel nationally as he did in the Old Testament times. Now, in the age of grace, God purposes to call out from the nations a people for his name. That's you and that's me. Acts 15, 14, we see that. The church age began with the advent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to dwell within the hearts of believers in Christ and will continue until Jesus' church is raptured as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. So, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Would somebody read that? Lance, can you grab that, please? 4.13 through 17. I'm going to blame it on holding this mic that I'm slower turning. Okay, so this time period begins in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes, and it ends when we leave, but also when what happens? The Holy Spirit is taken out. So that's, that's the point. Here's the Holy Spirit comes and taken out, and that ends the time period there. So then a covenant within uh, that's happening... Um, in, in, this, in this time period um, that's overshadowed in this time, is, is called the New Covenant. And the New Covenant of everlasting life was promised in Jeremiah 31. The Old Testament was a shadow of the New Covenant, like a photograph of a house only shows what the mountain is like, the shadow uh, of, of what a mountain is truly like when you see a picture. The new covenant is like, so that's the Old Testament that's the shadow. The new covenant is like taking possession of the house with all the joy of the home. So a big difference in just seeing a picture and having the real thing. 
The new covenant established in the New Testament of Christ's blood was established on unconditional promises and obedience was not through fear because of a willing heart and mind. Under the new covenant, Israel is established forever and their future conversion and blessings are promised. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 11 and Hebrews 6. The fulfillment of this promise will be manifest at the return of Christ with his bride to fulfill his promise that we see in Revelation 19 and 20. So at the end, in this story that started way back, where God is slowly revealing his revelation, we have a parenthesis of the parenthesis of the church age, which is a bubble, where God pauses his time with Israel, and he brings in his people, uh, the church, and then he continues on the story with Israel. Uh, to complete the new covenant. The last dispensation is the millennium, the age of the kingdom, when all things come together in the plain lands. The age of the kingdom, the millennium, is beginning at the Lord's return in his second coming at the day of the Lord. There is no other picture, there is no other um, thought than that is more repeated than the second coming of Christ all throughout Scripture. And why? Because that's the day that the Lord is looking for. We're, we're looking for the rapture, but the Lord is looking when all things will be made right and all things come together. That's the millennium. So beginning at the Lord's return and the second coming at the day of the Lord, Revelation 20, verse 4, and ending after the completion of the thousand years, the doom of Satan, the judgment of the great right throne in Revelation 27, when the Lord Jesus Christ will deliver up the kingdom of God, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, as said in Revelation 21, 1. Prior to the second coming in the millennium, disobedient Israel will make peace with the Antichrist, so this is during the tribulation time period, in fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel 9.27. And the false kingdom of Antichrist is established with the first three and a half years after the church is caught up or raptured. So all the story comes together and God finishes. There's always a big storm. Uh, you know, we have this thing with, with COVID that's going on. What's interesting is about every hundred years there is a seems to be a plague that goes on, a storm that, that comes on. Um, and if you pay attention to what God does, is many times before there's a big light and the sun comes, there's a storm. And you can see that progression throughout Scripture, uh, where God brings in a storm and there's a clearing spiritually, and then, boom, here he is. That's a pattern all the way throughout Scripture. So those are the dispensations. Now we're going to come back and we're going to pick up the principles of the dispensations. But I wanted you to first have a clear picture of what they were and then come through some of these pieces. So uh, we have some warnings, dispensation warnings. Let's see, where is that at? 
Okay, so it's not quite there, but I, I just want to give some warnings. Not acknowledging dispensations will prohibit you from placing biblical events and people groups in context. We also have, so that's people who just ignore it and say, no, God doesn't have different time periods. It's not in the Bible at all. <laughs> just look at the stories. Look to see what God said to people. Listen to the actual words of Scripture. They're there. But then you have people on the other side who are called hyper-dispensationalists, who take it to an extreme that the Bible does not say. And they'll place divisions in the Bible that don't exist and are not a natural flow within the context of Scripture that's laid out. And this type of narrow-mindedness will typically result in legalism. So there are those who say, none of the Bible applies to me except for what Paul wrote. I'm going to take nothing except what Paul wrote. That's dangerous too. The Bible says, and this is what Paul wrote, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. Heresy is truth misplaced out of a proper dispensational context. Jeff Adams said that. So you're, you're going to end up with heresy if you misplace the truth and you don't understand the context that God is laying out. And that's why this is so important to see the picture that God is putting together for the entire Bible. An example is it would be ridiculous for us to sacrifice a lamb at Passover since Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been offered once, right? We don't need to do that. Understanding dispensations will allow us to understand the context. So, now, Ben, I'm going to have you go back to where we were, and we're going to race through these blanks now that hopefully I've painted the picture of all of them for you, and these concepts will make sense to you. I thought it would be good to paint that first and see the picture of the puzzle, and then come back and you can see some of the pieces. So the definition of, of the word dispensation, we went through that uh, before, just as a reminder, I will read it real quickly to you. A dispensation is a period of time or an age on this present earth during which God assesses man's obedience to his will, what he has commanded, and by means of some specific standard that God has given to do this or that at that period of time. By seeing the Bible and the story of mankind, we see the story of mankind turning from God and God administering his plan to offer his grace and rescue man from sin. Another way, again, to think of it is the way of God dispensing his grace to man in that time or over time. Okay, so now number four with the blank. The definition of the word dispensation and the theological, is the second blank, definition of dispensations, dispensational responsibility and stewardships harmonize. So the definition and the theological definition, how God sees it and the responsibilities that are given, they harmonize together. There are seven features of every dispensation. So hopefully in the stories that I laid out, you can now see how these pieces fit together. 
So one is a ruling factor that happens. God is laying out rules. Number two, a new responsibility is given or a steward connected with a new ruling rule that's given. Number three, a new revelation is given for that time period. So when Noah comes on the scene, there's a there's new set of rules. They don't do away with the old rules. They supersede them. And then at the end, with the millennium, all of them fold together. Number four, a test or crisis is given. A test or crisis is given. Number five, you see another feature is a time or a period, an age. Use the word time there. Number six, you see a failure. Through every dispensation, there was a failure. They didn't complete what God told them to complete. And with that failure, the seventh feature is a judgment. A judgment by God at that end of the dispensation, and then God starts with the next age. And he's painting a picture throughout all time, and it points to what he's doing with his kingdom, how he is working through the problem of sin, and pointing to how the Savior, the King, is going to be a part of that entire plan. So B, the benefit. The benefit of seeing God's dispensational plan. Is that C? Okay, so C. And we see these benefits, there are five. God's sovereignty on display. Understanding the dispensations prove that God alone is worthy of glory and honor and power. And he redeems man through the ages. It is clear that only he has the integrity and ability to rule and reign forever. And that's the whole point of it is, you are worthy, Lord. It's not about me. Back in the garden, they wanted to put figs down there. Um, and God said, no, it's not about what you're doing. It's about what I'm doing. With Cain and Abel in the garden, Cain said, Lord, here, here take this fruit that I worked and I, I put together for you. And God said, no, it has to do with a blood sacrifice. And he accepted Abel's. And that continues all throughout these revelations that are going on. So you see God's sovereignty and that God is is holy and we are not. He gets the glory. Number two, God's plan of the ages will prove that God alone is sovereign and king. Number three, man's failure. God's plan also reveals man is a miserable flop even under the best circumstances. We like to think we're pretty great. And God says, there's one who is good, that's God. Like with the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he wants to say, hey, look at me, I'm pretty good. And Jesus says, there's one good, and you're speaking to him. Number four. 
Number four, God's grace. Dispensations reveal the grace of God to all mankind throughout time. And five, God's panorama of the entire Bible is revealed throughout dispensational study. So you see throughout the Bible how it's a full picture that fits together. And it's God, God's puzzle that if you will only take the pieces and connect them, you can see all that's going on. But most people won't dig that far. They'll maybe look at a piece of it and then want to want to just see one piece for today instead of studying the word and then say, wait a second, God, didn't you say that over here? And I saw that over there and oh, this fits together. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to be a detective and to see the pieces that he is putting together. The revelation of dispensation. So one, dispensations reveal the natural shifts and changes that occur through the process of time. Two, dispensations harmonize the difference in Scripture. So sometimes people will go, wait a second. This isn't true, or this is a contradiction, because over here it says this, and then over here in the New Testament it says this. So the Bible must be wrong. But when you understand God is unfolding a progressive revelation, and throughout time he's dealing a little bit differently with each period, it's not a contradiction. I mean, for that, you have to believe that planes can't fly. It's not a contradiction. It's a progressive revelation that happens. It's superseding, and it fits together. It's, un- it's unfolding revelation of God. Three, dispensations illuminate the theme of the Bible. The king will restore his kingdom. Four, dispensations differentiate the way God deals with man through time, both past and and future. So you can understand you can see what's going on. A lot of times people say you won't know where you're going until you understand where you've been, right? And for us in the the uh church age second to last age, it, we would do well to look back and see what God was doing and then we can better understand what God is going to do. So, D, there are obvious differences in Scripture when we examine God's plan for the ages. What are those? We, we see six. The fall of man. We see the flood. We see the Tower of Babel. These are the different pieces here. The law of Moses, the cross of Christ, and the millennium. And those are some major pillars that we can see of what happened. We saw the, the fall where with man's sin, where Adam brought in sin for all mankind. So if you have a dad, you're going to be a, you're you're going to be a sinner. There's only one who didn't have a dad, Jesus. The flood, where God says, "I'm going to start it over again." The Tower of Babel, which is a sign of works, where men were trying to work their way up and show God how great their they were. You notice right before the very end, all the world, in in Revelation, all the world will unite together to say, we hate you, and war, they will unite in nations against God. 
very similar like in the flood and the Tower of Babel. You have the law of Moses. And those who were stuck in the law, who wanted to say, we can do it, were the ones in the New Testament who put Jesus to death. We see the cross of Christ where Jesus dies on the cross, the the sin that we put him there, and the millennium at the final state where he he, uh, works through not only the tribulation, which if you pay attention to the tribulation of what's going on, it kind of looks like what was happening in the time of Exodus with the plagues, doesn't it? You see some similar things where there's a storm coming and then God uh, rescues. So those patterns you see over and over again. Now, so we have the millennium and then we see the, the next slide, the dispensations that I went through. Uh, The next line we're going to go through, and hopefully this now makes more sense to you as we explained it. Before the fall of man, number one, was created, man was created in innocence. So that's the first time period. After the fall of Adam, man was guided by conscience. That's the second time or second dispensation. After the flood of Noah, there were changes in government as God gave men authority over man. And God establishes human government. So that is the third dispensation. The fourth dispensation. Among the nations of the world, God in his sovereign grace calls out Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldee to form a nation in which the Messiah would come forth. This was granted to Abraham by promise of God. And that's the the time of promise or the fourth dispensation. What was temporary, a temporary trip to Egypt turns into a long time of bondage, and only through God's good hand were they delivered from bondage and given the law. So now you have the fifth dispensation. What does the number five mean in the Bible? Death. That's what the law brings, is it shows us our separation from God. That's what death is. Making a covenant they could never keep. They should never have said, all you, you say we will do. Because that was, the impossi- that was impossible from the moment that they made the promise. In keeping, they failed as they would not receive Christ because he didn't match their stereotype of what they wanted. In attempting to keep the law, they fell short of the righteousness of the law. So today we have the age of grace, the sixth dispensation Israel will now and then the seventh Israel will now be restored as Satan has his opportunity to run the kingdom the way he sees fit so after we leave after after the dispensation of grace is over and we're raptured out Israel will now be restored as Satan has his opportunity to run the kingdom in the way he sees fit because the Holy Spirit God's presence on earth is is out And for a short season of seven years, all hell breaks loose on earth. And after the purging of the tribulation period at the second coming, Advent, of the Lord, Jesus will return in a literal 24-hour day to establish his kingdom on earth, the kingdom of heaven. 
and rule and reign with a rod of iron for a thousand years, which represents the day of the Lord. So I want you to understand what dispensation shows us. It's a story of mankind throughout all history. When we see the patterns of the Bible through the rules of Bible study and dispensations, we see the story that unfolds, which is all stories. On a macro level, we understand what God is doing with mankind. On a micro level, it shows what God is doing with the human heart, namely your heart. It is both incredible, it is both incredibly simple and incredibly complex. It's the mystery of mankind, the crime of mankind, and, and your heart and soul that is revealed. So as a detective, what's an amazing thing, if you, if you read through the Word and you see how it fits together and you see the story unfold, the reader gets pulled into the story. And the reader, if you're a detective, you find out who is the culprit? It's mankind. And you look deeper, who is the culprit? It's you. And then you're brought to the end of yourself and you have to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, only you help me. I need a savior. And then you can reach out to him and receive his grace. Every superhero movie mimics what we see in the course of the Bible. Do you understand that? They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I think the last one made a billion dollars or something. And every superhero movie is a cheap counterfeit. When you read it, when you read the Bible, you learn that there is a murder that took place and mankind is responsible. In fact, the reader, him or herself, is responsible. But the king will return victorious and redeem those who receive him as their Savior and Lord. What a story. It's not just a story. It's the story. And almost every book... Every movie, every story that's been told through the ages has in, in its design that there will be a hero, there will be a problem, there will be a sin, and that there is, is usually a villain and there's a victim. Most stories have that, right? It's really the story of what God's doing throughout all human history. And you have it laid out throughout all time. A lot of people don't, don't understand what's unfolding. But the king will return victorious and redeem those who will receive him as their redeemer and lord. It's his story or history. And it can be your story and the story you tell to others to make it their story too. That's what we're called to do. Man continually tries to declare himself as good and God reveals no, you're not good. Only God is good. This happened in the garden when Jesus uh, happened in, in the garden. It happened when Jesus came to Israel. It, ha- it will happen at the final battle when the entire world unites against God and his heavenly host. It's the story of man in the garden, which is incidentally Babylon. If you find out where Garden of Eden was situated, it's, it's Babylon. The Tower of Babel is Babylon. Those pieces all fit together at the end, too. So it's the story of the garden in in Babylon going to Jerusalem or Zion. Man wants to make it his kingdom or throne, but God will be victorious as he reigns on his throne in his kingdom. It's the story of 
who we are and what we did. It's also the story of who God is and what he has done. All stories into one story, which is his story. And when you understand how the pictures fit together, the words fit together, and God has placed it so, it's amazing. So dispensations and the doctrine of salvation. We have a few more blanks and we're almost done. Dispensations do not teach various ways of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. Romans 3, 28. Romans 5, or 4, uh, 1 through 5. How does someone who lived under the law, how were they... Um, how were they saved? By faith, just like you and me. It's just that there were different rules how that was administered, how God administered that throughout time. They had sacrifices of animals. If they followed that um, in faith, we have the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And that's in this time how we are justified. But it's always by faith. Some doctrinal distinctions, dispensations, and covenants. And we looked at covenants. I think it's the next slide over then. Dispensations and covenants. Dispensational contrasts. Now, at this church, we're considered classical dispensationalists with a normal view of dispensations. What does that mean? We believe that there are seven dispensations that are revealed through those different characters that God has laid out in his word. We're not going to add to it, but those natural divisions. Progressive dispensationalists are those in the past 15 years or so are trying to reconcile what's called covenant theology with dispensational theology. With covenant theology, they bring in that God was done with Israel and God won't return to Israel and they try to marry that with God's plan. That's pretty hard to do when you look at the promises that are given to Israel. You have to really twist Scripture and take it out of context, the first rule of Bible study. Hyper-dispensationalists go too far with dispensations. And Paul warned the Corinthians of this sort of thing in the first century. No, that's okay. So we see that dispensational distinctions, law versus grace, Israel and the church, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Now, they're, they're distinct and different, but in the millennium, both come together and harmonize. God brings them both together because the king is now on the scene. Now, there's another, as far as diving deeper into the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, that's spelled out in, in D2 and a lot deeper in, in HBI. So if you want to dig deeper into that, that's not what this, this lesson is for tonight. Okay, I've left two minutes for questions. <laughs> what questions do you have? How many had a good handle on dispensations before tonight? Okay, just a, a few. Hopefully this, this will help um, as, you, as you lay out the pieces of the puzzle that are here, uh, that are lined out. And if you want to dig deeper, 
then there there's actually about every two years we're going to clear off a spot and dig further in on Wednesday nights. They dig a little bit deeper in D2 and then HBI. There's supposed to be a time period where they, they go further as well. So um, if this is something that you find very interesting, I encourage you to, one, search it out for yourself in Scripture. See if these things are so. Be a Berean. But then also, you could talk with the pastors, go to D1, you can go to HBI to get more, and like I said, there will be uh, some time on Wednesday night, we'll go deeper into that. Any any questions really, though, that you have? Did this help with understanding how the pieces fit together? To me, this was one of the the big revelations for me of understanding how the Bible fits together and also the importance of the King James Bible because precise words make a difference. Especially as we see how the Bible fits together on itself and folds together. Okay, with that we'll we'll pray. Father in heaven, Holy is your name. 